Well, good morning. Good morning, Balcony. Hey, wasn't that cool, that last hymn? That I thought the worship team really brought us to church. That was awesome. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, by the way, my name is Mark, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome all of you. we got people here. we got people next door in venue. Uh, some people joining us on Facebook Live. Uh, I want to welcome all of you, even those of you that are going to watch us sometime online in the future, however you join us today. We are glad you're here. Uh, I want to extend greetings from Renee. I talked to him yesterday. He's in Israel right now, and he's there because, uh, in large part, he, he's putting together materials for our fall a series on the life of David. He's going to be shooting videos. He's been shooting videos right on location uh, that'll be used for our small groups in the fall and uh, all sorts of stuff that's going to be in the book uh, that he's writing. And so I just invite you to keep him and the rest of the team in prayer. We look forward to all the good things that God brings out of that. But back here at the ranch, uh, we are in a series called 77. Not because that's a magic number or anything like that. It's because we started this series Exactly 77 days before Easter. So that's how creative we are as a staff. I came up with that title. And uh, truth be told, what we're trying to do is, is follow the, the life and ministry of Jesus up until Easter so that we might gain a better appreciation of how someone known for his goodness and his love would end up being crucified on a cross. And today we're going to see how the tension begins to mount between Jesus and a group of religious leaders, some of whom will eventually call for his death. But before we get to that, I put a theme verse at the top of your notes. It's also going to be on screen. Uh, this is a verse, 2 Corinthians 5.16. And I chose this because I think it's a, an interpretive key to the main passage that we're going to see today in Luke's gospel. Uh, it, not only that, it gives us the big idea, gives us really, I think, the main application as well. And Paul says this, he says, and in fact, I want you to read this out loud with me. Uh, let me hear you read this. Here we go. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Literally, we regard no one according to the flesh, says in the original. Now, what does that mean? Well, look around. We've got national ethnic, political, religious identities, cultural, sexual, gender identities, your zip code, your educational level, your economic status, your language, your behavior, your beliefs, all of these things form our identities. It's how we define ourselves and others, how we answer the question, are you part of my tribe or not? We all do this. But Jesus looks beyond all of this. Jesus looks at the person. Jesus looks at a precious, priceless soul. One of the best bits of advice I ever received when I was starting out as a pastor, one of the other pastors here on staff that had more experience than me pulled me along aside one day, and he said, Mark, always remember, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. I was reminded of that in large part uh, this last week. I was in the grocery store, and I, I came up to the checkout aisle, and there was a woman in front of me, and uh, the checker, who I've, I've 
gotten to know uh, over the last couple years, as she's talking to this woman, and she says to her, she says, man, it has just been one of those days. And then she glances over at me and says, oh, and now he's showed up. I'm like, <laughs> I know exactly how to take that. I just laughed, and I said, well, it's, it's so great to see you, too, and glad that I could add to this, this day of yours. And she says, no, 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 I didn't mean that. She goes, it's just that today, especially these last couple days, it's all just been, there's been so much spiritual weirdness. And now look, here's you. So again, I'm like, well. <laughs> she knows what I do. She knows I'm a professional Christian. And I never really thought, <laughs> I never really thought of as, as that entailing, you know, spreading spiritual weirdness. But hey, I guess in her mind, that's what it is. Now, actually, she didn't mean that either. Uh, and the, this woman in front of us now, she, sensing that perhaps a spiritual discussion may ensue, she kind of uh, fast-tracks it to the exit. And this checker, she leans into me, and she says under her breath, Well, you know my son died. I told you this. Didn't I tell you this before? I said, Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I, I never knew that. I said, What happened? And she begins to tell me just a little bit of her story. A story of how she tragically lost her teenage son. And even though it happened many years ago, the anniversary of that loss landed in this week. And so it was all very there. It just bubbling up inside her soul. And drawing on my own experience, I said, the heart has a way of keeping track of the calendar. She says, yeah, it sure does. I, again, I expressed my sympathies to her. I wished her well, and then I walked out. And I'm driving home, and I'm praying for her and her family, especially during this week. And that's when the verse you see on screen exploded into my brain. Because I believe the Holy Spirit was reminding me that so often, that's exactly what I do. I see people just the way the world does, by their appearance, by what they do, by their accomplishments or lack thereof, whatever. I was reminded of that by the story of this woman. And so how, how often, you know, I'm in the store. I don't even know what her, her, her story, if it involves Jesus, if it doesn't involve Jesus. My point is, I didn't really even know her story. I didn't really think of her having a story. I'm just most of the time thinking about which line I can get through the quickest. You know what I'm saying? Jesus calls us to see people differently. Not like the world does. But to see them as a precious person that he's created. And not only that, but at the foot of the cross... Whatever differences we may think we have, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. We're all broken. We're all needy. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And so I'm here today to remind you that Jesus is calling all sinners. And that is really good news because do we have any sinners here today? Yeah, that's all we have, all right? That's all we have. And so I'm going to invite you, as I invite myself, to open yourself up 
to God's word today and, and see how Jesus may be calling you even today. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. We were in the beginning of Luke 5 last week. Doug Valenzuela uh, shared a great message on the calling of Simon Peter. And if you, if you reflect on that story, I think most of us, uh, we're not all that shocked that Jesus would call someone like Peter. Peter's kind of like the everyman. He's like the average working guy. He's not perfect. He's got rough edges. By his own admission, he, he's a sinner. But, you know, Jesus had to call somebody, so why not Peter? And, and after all, Jesus needed his boat from time to time. So it's like, you're perfect. You're in. Follow me. Peter does. But a little bit later in this chapter... Jesus is going to call someone who no one would ever have suspected. In fact, it wasn't just surprising. It was scandalous that Jesus would call this particular disciple. We're going to pick up his story again. Luke chapter 5, we're at verse 27. His story begins. And it says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, let's just hit the pause button there for just a moment because uh, in piecing together the various stories in the Gospels where Jesus calls uh, people to follow him, especially the original 12, uh, by my reckoning, this is the seventh person that Jesus has called. Seventh person on the planet called to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, we know a little bit about uh, Levi. Obviously, he's, he's, his occupation is given to us. But, but also, he's called Matthew elsewhere. In fact, in Mark's, uh, Matthew's gospel, he, it's the same guy, but it's called Matthew. And uh, he's believed to be the person who wrote Matthew's gospel. And if we're church people, we just kind of accept all this. But... Uh, let me remind you again what he did for a living. He was a tax collector. Now, how many of you enjoy paying taxes? <laughs> Every service, someone raises their hand. What a, what a citizen. What amazing. <laughs> I don't care how much you despise it. It's really hard for us to get inside of the minds of the people of this day, the day of Jesus, how much they absolutely loathed tax collectors. Here's why. Let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, the Romans outsourced the collection of taxes to whoever the highest bidder was. So if you got the winning bid, that's what you were obligated to turn over to Rome. Anything above and beyond that, you got to pocket. So, so now imagine Levi. He's a Jew. He's collecting taxes from his own countrymen, ripping them off in the way of profits, giving the money to the pagan oppressors. I mean, this guy could not be any lower on the social strata. And so when people, they looked at, 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 at Levi, and by the way, there's just got a vicious cycle in this because the more he taxes People, the more they hate him, the more he what? Taxes them. He's got nothing to lose. You don't like me? You know, pay up. Mark's gospel tells us that Levi's tax booth is right by the same lake where Peter, James, John have their boats. 
In other words, they all live in the same town. Levi has been taxing Peter and the other guys. You imagine they come in with their catch of fish, and there's Levi just waiting to take his cuts. They hate this guy. And now Jesus is calling him to join their band of merry men. Are you serious, Jesus? I mean, I ain't going to be his roommate. No way. Guy has ripped me off. <laughs> and by the way, as an aside, any bit, uh, any amount that the, the, the disciples like Peter felt special when they were called, I mean, it just dissipated in this moment. When <laughs> Jesus looks at Levi, this scoundrel, and says, follow me. And just like that, he gets up, leaves behind his tax booth forever. And again, this was so radical. I mean, talk about cutting the cord. Because, you know, for Peter and the other fishermen, if this whole following Jesus thing doesn't work out, they can go back to their previous occupation. In fact, that, in fact that's exactly what they did when Jesus was crucified. They go back and they just start fishing again. Okay, we lost a couple years, but at least we landed on our feet. There's no way Levi can ever go back to the tax office. There's no way the Romans would ever take him back. So this is just an absolute departure from his old life. He has cut off all future source of income, as far as he can tell. And so what do you do when you find yourself in that kind of situation? Well, if you're Levi, you throw a party. And not just a little one. It says, picking up the story at verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. And that word complained in the original, it's a, it's a great word. It's the word gaguzo. Gaguzo. Say that out loud. Gaguzo. Okay, now say it three times fast. Gaguzo, gaguzo, gaguzo. It sounds like what it means, okay? So the Pharisees, they're off to the side of this party. They're gaguzoing to each other, grumbling. And they say to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And that, the word you there, it's plural. So it's like, why do all y'all eat with tax collectors and sinners. That is not done. And I imagine Peter, he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and points to Jesus and says, well, because that's what he does. Now, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. Maybe it was a little buttoned down, maybe a little stuffy. Might even call it a little legalistic. <laughs> this has got to make you squirm just a little bit. To imagine Jesus sitting with these tax collectors, Luke calls them, and others. Who are they? Well, the only people that will hang out with tax collectors, fellow members of this is the bottom of society. And they're like, Jesus, don't you know what good church people are going to think about this? I mean, come on. I have to imagine, you know, the number one prayer request in all the Bible studies and small groups in, in this area of Judea that week were, oh, pray for Jesus. He has really fallen in with the wrong people. And man, do you know what he's doing? Tax collectors and, and, and sinners. I mean, if, if you're a Pharisee, you are offended by this. 
If you're a Pharisee, you know, you see the wrong kind of people. You turn the other way. You cross the street. You know, you don't even want to get what they've got on you. But Jesus, he rushes right into this crowd of outcasts and sinners, and he's eating and drinking with them. Why would he do that? Because he loves them. Just like he loves you and he loves me. Like I said, do we have any sinners here today? Yeah. This all reminds me of a great story I heard like 20 years ago. You may have heard it as well. There's a guy named Tony Campolo. He was like the rock star of Christian conference uh, speakers 20 years ago in the 80s, 90s. I guess that's like 30 years ago. But anyway, <laughs> he was invited to speak at this conference in Honolulu. And being from the East Coast, he gets there. His internal clock is six hours ahead. So the first night, he wakes up. It's like 2 in the morning. He wants breakfast. And so he gets dressed. He goes down in downtown Honolulu looking for a restaurant that's open And the only place that he can find is just this dive, this little diner. He goes inside, sits down. The guy across the counter is this big guy named Harry. And Tony orders a cup of coffee and a greasy donut from him. And uh, about 3.30, eight, nine women dressed very much like ladies of the night come busting through the door. They're kind of loud and boisterous, and it's a small little diner which has got the, the counter and the little stools. And so they sit on either side of him. They're talking, and he's thinking to himself, man, this would look great for all the people at the conferences now. See their keynote speaker here tonight, <laughs> right now. And then he overhears one of them say, ah, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And immediately, immediately one of the other ones says, yes, So what? What do you want me to do? You know, throw you a party, make you cake, sing you a song? He's like, no. Just thinking about it. Just just saying. Well, after they leave, Tony turns to Harry and says, those ladies, do they come in here every night? Oh, yeah. They they come here every night about the same time, Harry says. And the, the one with the birthday tomorrow, her too? Oh, Agnes? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she comes every night. And he looks at him kind of suspiciously. What do you want to know? <laughs> Campolo says, well, I, I, was, I was thinking we could throw a birthday party. Harry loves this idea. In fact, he volunteers. He insists on making the cake. And, and then he tells his wife about it. And she somehow gets word to all of Agnes's friends that there's going to be a surprise party for her. Next morning, Campolo arrives early to decorate the diner with all sorts of birthday stuff. 3.30, Agnes comes through the door and everyone else erupts. Surprise! Happy birthday, Agnes! Campolo says he has never seen a more stunned look on a person's face in his entire life. She's literally shaking. They help her to one of the stools where they begin to sing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. And Harry proudly puts the cake in front of her with all the candles lit. Okay, Agnes, blow out the candles. She's just staring at it. Finally, she blows out the candles, and he hands her a knife and says, Okay, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. Everybody wants a piece of cake. Come on, go ahead and cut it. 
Agnes says, um, well, would it be okay? Would it be okay if I, I just kind of kept it like this for a little while? Would that be okay? Well, sure, Agnes. I mean, it's your cake. You know, take it home, whatever. It's yours. She looks at Kempo and says, Yeah, I just live a couple doors down. I won't be long. And then he says, She picks up the cake like it's the Holy Grail. And she walks out of the diner leaving the rest of them in stunned silence. Well, after a couple awkward moments, Tony Campolo says he just blurts out the first thing that comes to mind. He says, what do you say we pray? (laughs) (laughs) And so he leads them in prayer right then and there. He prays for Agnes, prays that she would know the love of Jesus in her life. Says amen. When he opens his eyes, there's Harry glaring at him across the counter. You never said you were no preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And Campolo says in a moment when just the right words came to him, that he answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. Harry says, no, no, you don't. There ain't no church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd join it. I'd join it. And wouldn't we all? What a a sad thing. What a, a tragedy when churches, when Christians take their cues more from the Pharisees than from Jesus, who ate and drank with sinners of every stripe. Now, to be clear, look, you you want to take this story and run with it and and call actual sin outreach, then you're not reading it right. But at the same time, if all you ever do is surround yourself with people just like you, you know, fellow Christians, they believe the same thing, they talk the same way, They view the world the same way. If that's all you ever do, if somehow, without even trying, your life has been reduced to this this Christian bubble, then this text, this is a reminder to you and to me that Jesus came to call all sinners, to reach out to them, to, to, to build genuine friendships with them. Not to shout at them, And I doubt you're shouting at them, but not to ignore them either, not to write them off, because he's loving them, and he calls us to follow his lead. In other words, he calls us as Christians, as this church, to be faithful to him and who he is, to be faithful to his word, faithful in our ethics And at the same time, radical in our welcome, bold in our outreach. And you know, if we do that right, it will raise some eyebrows from time to time, if we're doing it right. But Jesus says to this to the Pharisees when they ask, well, why why do you do this? He answers in verses 31 and 32. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, there's a bit of irony in his answer there, because truth be told, <laughs> there's no such thing as the righteous. There's no such thing as a righteous person. Scripture's very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What there is is two kinds of sinners. Sinners who know and admit that they are sinners and sinners who don't. You see, if you, you'll never have any use for the doctor's call until you realize just how sick you are. So how about you? How might Jesus be calling you today? And if he is, I just want to very quickly unpack three ways that I believe Jesus calls you, Jesus calls me. And if you're a note taker, here's your moment. It's time to write some stuff down. Because first of all, Jesus calls me to follow him. Now that's obvious from this story and elsewhere. He calls me to follow him. But what does that mean to become one of his disciples? It means this. It means that first of all, Jesus loves you just the way you are. Just the way you are. Whether you carry the shame of some sin from your past, from this week, from this morning, Jesus loves you just the way you are and, don't miss this, he loves you too much to leave you that way. Like you've heard me say before, you let Jesus through the front door, he's going to take over the whole house. Okay? That's why we call him Lord. And so along the way, He's going to begin to change my thinking about certain things, whether it's behaviors, attitudes, outlooks. He's going to start to change my mind. In fact, that's what repentance literally means. It means to change your mind, to begin to see things the way that Jesus sees them. And that's what he's doing in all of us when we begin to follow him. And he doesn't change our lives simply for pragmatic reasons. Sometimes we think that's the end-all, be-all, that I'll just you know, make fewer stupid decisions or, or fewer hurtful things for myself or others. That's all great. That's a blessing. But that's not really the end of it all. It's, it's that Jesus is glorified through his people. Jesus is glorified when people see him in us. And so he's changing us so that we resemble him all the more as time goes by. This, this being a disciple thing, this being a student of Jesus, is not just about information, it's about transformation. He's taking us somewhere. Second thing is that as this begins to happen, he, we realize that he's calling us into friendship with him. That Jesus actually calls us uh, his friends, and there's an intimacy, there's a, a relationship that deepens over time as we feel this bond between us and him through the, the spirit that dwells inside of us. And the amazing thing is that he's actually proud to call us his friends. Now, you, you may be ashamed of yourself. He's not ashamed of you. In fact, just two chapters later, in chapter 7, Verse 34, Jesus is addressing basically the same complaint from another group of Pharisees. And he says this to, to them. He says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, was Jesus actually a glutton and a drunkard? No. But he had friends that were. 
He had friends that were tax collectors and sinners, which is great news because it means he's, he's not afraid to be my friend too. You know, he's like, you guys, you want to you put that badge on me? That's fine. I love these people. He calls me to follow him. He calls us to friendship. And third, he calls each one of us to forward his message to others. To forward his message. Ever been so excited about something you just couldn't keep a lid on it? You know what I mean? I was thinking this week about when Laura and I were on our honeymoon. And even though we were over 3,000 miles away from here, around people who had never met us, it was amazing how many people came up to us during that time and congratulated us on our new marriage. You know, looking at each other a certain way over dinner or the way we're walking, holding hands. People go, oh, newlyweds, congratulations. How did they know that? Well, when your heart is full, it just spills out into everything you say, everything you do. And look at, here's Levi. He's so excited that Jesus has called him. He throws this massive party. Why? So that his friends will have an opportunity to meet Jesus too. And you have to believe some of them ended up following Jesus because they were at that party. And not only that, but Levi, Matthew, goes on to write one of the four Gospels talking about, you know, talk about forwarding the message. We know things about Jesus and his message directly because Matthew wasn't willing to keep a lid on what Jesus had done in his life. He just wanted to share it with others. And my prayer for us, Twin Lakes Church, is that this week our hearts would be so full of love and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, the very things that we've been singing about this morning, that it would just overflow into to offices and work sites and coffee houses and, yes, grocery store checkout aisles. If people would sense, I think I just met someone who's been called by Jesus because they see me differently. What if that were to happen? Well, it brings us to what I think is one of the most important questions that, that we could ever ask ourselves. In fact, I think it's like the most important question you could ever ask. No exaggeration there, not for extra impact. The most important question we can ever ask ourselves is this, is have I answered his call? If he's called you, if he's calling you, what do you do with that? Will you answer it? Now, many of us today might say, yeah, I answered his call to me. I you know, went forward or I prayed a prayer at camp or something like that. But how is he calling you today? How is he calling you perhaps right now? Speaking candidly this week, I believe Jesus uh, called me to repentance when I was driving in the car, uh, challenging me on how I see people sometimes under kind of a superficial way, or put them into little boxes, as opposed to remembering that they have a story and that I might have a chance to share Jesus with them. That, that's one area that, that I felt him calling me to repent of. How, how about you? How is he calling you? How is he calling you to, to trust him right now? Maybe you have a situation. There are more questions than answers 
And so you find yourself kind of stuck. Like, when I get more answers, I'll be, I'll be willing to kind of move from this point. And Jesus goes, come on, we got places to go. But in order to get there, you may have to leave behind the things that will hold you back, like Matthew did, like the other disciples did. Whatever it was that was going to keep them from following, they abandoned it. They left it behind because the person that called them was far more wondrous than anything, anything else. Finally, how is he calling you to forward his message? Is there someone in your life, someone in your street, someone in your, on your job or at the gym? And, and, you know, you have the same conversation every time. And yet, if you haven't already, would you dare to pray this week that, that God would give you an opportunity to learn their story, to hear their story, to be mindful that they have one? Would you dare to pray that, that that would happen, and that in the due course of time, that you, in response with sensitivity and humility, would be able to share your story with them, which includes what Jesus has done for you? Would you be willing to do that? Because again, my prayer is that, that it would just go out through this town, this needy community here in Santa Cruz, that people that don't have the blessing that you and I have right now would have it because they would learn about the fact that Jesus is calling them to, that Jesus loves them. And you might be thinking, well, you know, Mark, <laughs> I aspire towards that, but my life is so messed up right now. I, I can't imagine I could ever be a blessing to anyone else. Well, if that's the way you feel, I just want to bring you to a scripture. It's a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the Thessalonian Christians. And by extension, it applies to each of us. Uh, he says this in 2 Thessalonians, starting at verse 11, when he says this. So we keep on praying for you asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. Now, don't miss this last line. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about your power. It's not about my power. It never has been. It's always about his power, his grace that enables us to live out his call. All we do is, is say, bring it on, Jesus. I, I want to open myself up to that. I want to surrender to that. I want to answer the call that you have for me today. And to show you how dramatic a difference that can make, I just want to leave you with a final example it's about the, man, uh, the life of a man whose occupation was actually worse than Levi's by a, by a long stretch because he's what we would call a human trafficker, a slave trader. Many of you know his story, a man named John Newton. John Newton's life begins to take a radical turn when piloting his ship between Africa and England, the ship gets caught in a terrible storm battered for days. Finally, John Newton, an avowed atheist, cries out, Lord, have mercy on us. And the Lord does. And his ship makes it back to port. But now John's life is turned upside down. 
he will leave behind the slave trade. He will eventually become a pastor. In fact, along the way, he will also write a lot of hymns, including one we call Amazing Grace, the most popular song ever written in the English language ever. Why? I believe because so many of us resonate with its story. Well, in a movie entitled the same, Amazing Grace, there's a powerful scene where John Newton takes his story that he's written out and he's talking to his young apprentice, William Wilberforce. He's hoping that he will use that story to go against the evil of the African slave trade, something that William Wilberforce actually did. He led the charge that led to the abolition of slave trade in England, and eventually it spilled over here into the States. What a difference. That started with one man's changed life. Watch the screen. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, ports, people. Everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts, noises. We were apes. They were humans. <laughs> we being... I couldn't weep till I wrote this. <laughs> I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that, too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, Wilbur, go. We've lots of work to do, you and I. Well, friends, we have lots of work to do, too, you and I. Jesus is calling all sinners. And he's inviting us to include our story in his amazing story as he reaches out to a lost and broken world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and place ourselves under your word. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that there are those here today that they have heard your call for the very first time. Maybe they've been uh, kind of around the, the periphery of this church, kind of checking it out. And, and yet today, 
very clearly your voice has reached them. And they understand that while they are a sinner, while they not only do they not live up to their own standards, they certainly don't live up to yours, but that, Lord, you reach out to them and you want to redeem them. And you did that through your son Jesus, taking their sin upon himself, dying on a cross, and rising from the dead, defeating both sin and death in one fell swoop. And they want to place themselves in your care. They want to say, Jesus, I want to follow you too. Count me in. If that's you, you can just say it that succinctly. Jesus, count me in. I pray, Lord, that you give that person uh, others in their, their life that could help them in that journey as they begin to follow you, as you begin uh, to absorb their life and, and transform their life in the most beautiful way. And Lord, I pray for the, those of us who call you, Lord, we have maybe for years. I pray that you would just light a fire in our hearts today. Give us a burden, a, a, a loving burden for those around us who, who don't yet know you. And just help us with sensitivity, with wisdom, with grace, with integrity to represent you, to further the message. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.